This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put oh, he's the one. Pussy up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Welcome, everybody, to the sub-FBS edition of Republic of Football. I am your host, Mike Craven, joined as always by our sub-FBS insider, Corey Hogue, who has been killing it this last couple of weeks as the F- sub FBS season has kind of come to an end, the playoffs are starting, coaching changes are beginning. Usually we kind of jump right into reviewing the week before, before we preview the next week, but with the season ending and different coaching changes happening and, and uh, FCS playoffs starting, I thought we'd start with some headlines first, Corey. Uh, first up, UIW Incarnate Word awarded the seventh seed in the FCS playoffs. That means they receive a first round bye. They're the only Texas team in the FCS playoffs. The Cardinals will play the winner of Elon and Furman. Corey, uh, was that about what you thought they'd be ranked as? Were they higher or lower than where you thought they'd land? That's right about where I, I thought they would. Some of the national prognosticators had them up. Uh, a little out of it. Some of them had them out. Some of them had them as high as number five. I think seven or eight was, was right about the right slot. And it's really important. The seventh seed actually is the very, is the best they could have hoped for probably because now they get a bye week they get a home game and they avoid the top seed in the tournament in the third round. If they win, they, they go to the number two seed. So that, that is a, a big a big advantage for UIW and it's a team that is just rolling. They are so good right now. We we talk about the offense. They're averaging over 50 points a game, but the defense is only giving up 19. That is insane. That that point differential does not happen at this level. Yeah, an excellent year so far for GJ Kinney's group. Uh the playoffs are going to be interesting. There are there are only hope. So we're hoping that they go they go pretty far in that. I think they're built to make a pretty good playoff run. And, and a lot of those guys on the in the program have been in the playoffs before. They've tested close games. Um, and so you would imagine that helps them this time around as well. I'm sure you wouldn't mind joining me in Frisco for a title game in January. No, I'm there. I'm there. That's a that's a good column. That's a fun thing to write. I'm I'm absolutely there. That's not too far from uh, my apartment, so I'm good to go there. Um, there we go. Moving on to some not-so-great news at the sub-FBS level. We have a a few coaching changes to get through. Let's start with Lamar. Uh, They fired head coach Blaine Morgan after a 1-10 season. He was 5-23 in three seasons. Uh, For people who don't know, Lamar is in Beaumont. It's it's a pretty tough uh, school to win at uh, historically. Were you surprised? I was surprised that he's not getting a fourth year. What were your thoughts when you first saw this news come out? I was shocked too. I know other people says the least shocking news, but I didn't, I didn't understand this one. I mean, you got to figure, I get it, mate. You expected more wins this year. And so did I, I understand that, but his first season was COVID. So now he's programmed during COVID. So he really had 2021 and 2022 full seasons. And they didn't even really have a full off season in 2021. 
So I don't know that it was necessarily fair to judge him on that. And then the other thing, when I really dug into this year's schedule, they had they were one in three in games decided by uh, one uh, one score or less. So if you if they if they turn that into a three and two, the the season does look a little different or a four and one. And some of that losing the close games is youth and experience and learning how to do it. I thought they would give him that one more year. But look, Lamar is seeing some of these other programs, especially a UIW, having such success. And it's put some pressure on them and it put a lot of pressure uh, on the coaching staff and they decided to go a different direction. Yeah, I feel like it used to be commonplace to get four years. You know, that was a full recruiting cycle. That way the seniors on your team were guys that you recruited. Um, And it it feels like the baseline now is three. You no longer get that fourth year. It's three years and done. They move on to a new coach. Um, Maybe that's good. Maybe that's bad. I don't know. But it it seems like a quick quick trigger uh, for a program that doesn't have a bunch of historical success. You know, like J.G. Kinney at UIW, walked into a ready-made or uh, close to ready-made situation with a program who's been there before, who had already kind of come from the ground up. And so uh, I think the same things happen at the FBS level with Texas State. Texas State looks around at UTSA and some other programs and goes, why can't we be them? Uh, Instead of looking at their own history and going, okay, this is just who we are. And so uh, expectations can get out of whack in college football. And that's true at every single division, at every single level. That's just what it is. Um, I was so. thinking last night that you, a coach really should get six years. That's like the ideal time because that's that that's not just one full recruiting class from freshman to senior. It, it, you need to build the depth, especially on the offensive line. It's on the offensive and defensive line where you see the biggest problem. So they bring in young guys on that position three, four years to develop, and then you need a few of those classes coming in. And that's why I think six years is about right. But, you know, I'm not an AD. I don't face the pressure of the donors. Six years isn't going to happen for a lot of a lot of people. And the transfer portal is only making it speed up because people aren't going to take that excuse of like, oh, I need to do this organically. People are going to be like, well, why don't you just go fix that in the transfer portal and, and get better quickly? And so it's a, it's a <laughs> tough time to be a head coach in college football right now. You, you talk about transfer today. Not only do we have coaches, but the transfer portal opened for FCS, and you had guys declaring, putting themselves in the transfer portal, and other teams offering them scholarships in thirty minutes. It really was crazy yesterday. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's wild time, man. The next couple of months are going to be absolutely crazy, and a lot of it's new. Like we just don't. This is like a whole yeah. new territory, right? So we just don't know exactly how it's going to go we just know it's going to be a lot of fun west texas a&m also fired their coach hunter hughes after a five and six season he took over in 2016 2017 uh, amid ncaa sanctions uh you know we kind of talked about the the struggles they had late in the year uh especially when they went up to to canada got beat pretty bad by simon frazier was this something you expected or thought maybe could happen i did and only because the simon frazier game yeah. I think if they go up there, they win, they finish with a winning record, he gets another year. It, I, I think it took so long for them to make this decision because I don't think the athletic director, McBroom, wanted to make this decision. I think he was kind of pushed there more 
from some alumni after that SFU loss, and he didn't have any reason. He he didn't have any any anything to rebut with after you know when a guy when somebody says yeah, but Simon Fraser, you just kind of shake your head. You know that's all you have. So I think that was the one, and I hate to see it. I know, you know, for for a week they were expecting on staying around. They were offering guys. They you know they were there were offers coming in Sunday to guys. So yesterday was a little bit. Uh, of a surprise of the timing, but in the end, I, I just don't think you, you just don't survive a game like what you saw in Canada. And that being the third of three straight losses, I think that was ultimately the undoing. Yeah. Nail in the coffin. Although it was a tough job when he took it over and he, he did a pretty solid job considering the things that he was facing. But you know, as we've well, talked about so far in the podcast, the expectations are just different. People don't give you that kind of, you know, break anymore. Yeah, and, you know, the fan base. I think we need to talk about them just a minute. And, and this is a fan base that really wants the Don Carthel arrows back, right? Like we Colby was there as the defensive coordinator and his dad, Don, was the head coach. They were by far the most successful years this program has ever had. And they're, they want to return to that. Um, I just – there are some connections, but I would I would figure the next coach will have connections to that era era right there, uh, and I'm going to be releasing a name I've heard tomorrow in the blitz as as possibly being a front runner. Like names are coming to the front already, and some of these guys are are very familiar with that Don Carthel era. So I I, I expect to see that kind of be the direction they go. You heard it here first. Corey Hogue reporting that Colby Carthel headed back to West Texas. No, I Texas did not report I... <laughs> that. I did not. <laughs> uh, and then our last, our last coaching move uh, of this week, Houston Christian, formerly Houston Baptist head coach, Vic Shealy, Shealy will not return. Uh, he was, you know, the only coach they've ever had in 10 years. He was 21 and 79 um, in history there. So, you know, what are your thoughts there on, on that move? Just, uh, just he's ready for retirement type deal. I, I just think this was – I feel bad for Vic. I really do. Like, I, I am a big fan of Vic Sheely. He has been a really great person, been really great to me. I always look forward to our conversations. He had built a team that in 2020 was going to challenge for the FCS playoffs. He had a receiving core that was deep. He had Bailey Zappi at quarterback, who's now with the Patriots. He had Caleb Johnson at linebacker, who's now with the Jaguars. He had talent. Like, he recruited this. He built this up. He fostered it. And then 2020, COVID came. And following that year, Caleb Johnson was done. He went off to the NFL. Good for him. Ely Zappi and the receivers all decided to, to move on. And, you know, that's that was their right. I'm not saying they're wrong for doing it, but the one that got hurt the most out of this was, was Vic Sheely. Cause then it was almost like starting the program over again. And uh, I think they didn't see enough progress this year from this team to, uh, to warrant another year for, for Vic. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. That 2020 season for them just feels like such an opportunity lost. You know, I know, uh, on the list of things that COVID ruined, maybe that's not on the top of it because, you know, of all the personal tragedies people have had, you know, but it does feel like one of the bigger sports moments because that team, you know, was really good. You know, their offensive coordinators, the offensive coordinator at Tech now, you know, and yes. so um, that was a really fun team, a really good team that we kind of got robbed of seeing. 
uh, make a real run there uh, for the playoffs and in the playoffs because they would have put up a lot of points. They put up a lot of points at Western Kentucky. Uh, they would have put a lot, put up a lot of points, Houston Baptist. Um, all right, so let's jump into some actual football now that we got that kind of out oh, of the way. Sorry, I go ahead. have a, I have some breaking news right here. Oh, okay, let's do it. Texas A&M Commerce wide receiver Andrew Armstrong has entered the transfer portal after 62 catches, 1,020 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Oh, wow, that hurts. Yeah, That hurts right there. That's a big one. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see once February or March happens and all the dust settles. Do these teams import more talent that trickles down, or do they export more talent that moves up? You know, and I think it's one of those things where they're going to lose two or three star players, but you may gain six, seven, eight, nine bigger division players that move down that you may have never gotten recruiting wise. And so how does that even up? And uh, going back to the head coaching stuff, and and we were joking about how names are already su- uh, surfacing for West Texas A&M. I think one of the reasons you have to do it so quickly now is this. You can't let your whole roster leave. You need to get ahead of the curve. You can't wait anymore. Um, and so all of these programs and, have like a added sense of urgency. And you have to remember when you, when the head coach gets changed, it's free in the portal. You, you get, you don't have to wait out a year. So now, yes, you, you're under the gun and this, this portal comes fast. It comes right at the end of the season. This is a huge recruiting time because these guys can only enter for so many days. And so it, any delay you have is really missing out uh, right here. I, you know, I'm probably going to, honestly, this one is so big, I will probably have a story up about this here uh, once we're done recording because this is this news is huge for the uh, sub-FBS in Texas. Let's get to some actual football because there was some real football that was played over the weekend that had really important stakes involved in it. We'll start at the JUCO level. Kilgore with a shocker over New Mexico Military Institute. It wasn't even close, 39-12 to in the conference championship. The Rangers now on a four-game winning streak uh, that includes road wins over Tyler Junior College, Trinity Valley, and Nimi. Uh, this thing was only 10-3 at halftime, but a 90-yard kickoff return for a touchdown made it 17-3. to uh, And then when Nimi kind of came back, got a field goal, made it 17-6, to Kilgore went on a 26 to nothing unanswered run uh, to give them some space. Denario Davenport, 19 carries, 121 yards, two touchdowns over 1,000 yards on the year. How great has this run been for Kilgore this last month? It feels like, you know, obviously they were playing their best football and beat, you know, the teams that we thought were the best teams in that conference. I feel vindicated in a way by their run because earlier this season, I was singing their praises. They were, and this is not an understatement, in all of sub-FBS in Texas, that's the best team I watched on film all year. They have, They are that good. They had a two-game slip-up against Nimi and and then uh, Navarro. That two back-to-back game slip-up kept them from – they win one of those, they're probably playing in the national semifinals, and they would have a real shot at winning. That defense was for real, and once they got rolling late in the season, they knocked off Trinity Valley, who, you know, they were the top seed, and then they went to the defending national champions and beat them up at at their place – That's just how good this team is. And again, I understand how this all works, but I just hate that like you can you can win those kind of big games and then your season's over. You know, it just doesn't feel right that there's not a place for you 
when you make those well, kind of upsets, you make that kind of run. They do in JUCO. They have bowl games in JUCO. So Kilgore is headed to the champs heart of Texas Bowl, which is played in commerce. I just don't know an opponent yet. For yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah, really good team. They're on a roll. You would think if they did qualify for the semis, they, you know, they'd be they'd be a team to to reckon with because they're playing tremendous football right now, beating beating teams that were, you know, thought of as national title contenders. And so, an uh, impressive run for Kilgore and good for Corey Hogue to uh, to to feel vindicated. I I also I know how that I know how that goes uh, at the FBS level. Uh, so. Next up, SFA claimed the WAC title, uh, its first conference championship since 2010, with a 24 to 21 win over Abilene Christian. The Jacks scored 11 unanswered points in the fourth quarter, taking a three-point lead with 2:43 left on a 12-yard touchdown uh, by Trey Self and an ensuing two-point conversion. ACU's Maverick McIver threw for 318 yards and a pair of touchdowns in a losing effort. SFA's Xavier Gibson had 11 catches for 213 yards and a touchdown. The rest of the team combined for 267 yards of total offense. Corey, football sometimes can be a complicated sport. Other times it cannot. It has felt all year long like the more SFA gets the ball into Xavier Gibson's hands, the better that offense is. He had an incredible game. Kind of where does he rank or stack in terms of just like players you've watched over the last couple of years at the sub FBS level. Cause I, I can't think of many that were more uh, talented or, or more impactful. There are a lot of great players and I've seen a lot of great players, but Xavier Gibson is special. He has got that other level. You know, they, there was a, a hype video put out by last week that said SFA you're next. And Colby found that and he played it every day at practice. And Xavier said, I hated hearing it. I hated hearing that over and over. And when you get a, a man who can dominate anyway, focus like that, he just took over it. And let me tell you what's most those yards. He was covered. ACU had him covered all game. He was like a step, maybe a step they knocked some passes down that were just great defensive plays. But the man, it, when he, when he is determined he has another gear, and that's that level of, of special you only see from certain players in athletics. Yeah. What are your thoughts on uh, Abilene Christian? A, a really good season. They were right there. You know, they had a lead going into their fourth quarter. Is it one of those things that as time passes, they'll look back and be like, hey, we overachieved a little bit. Look how close we were to winning a conference title. Or is this one of those losses that may sit with this program for a little while because you were that close and you gave up maybe your best shot? Uh, in the last few years. I think I think Abilene Christian needs perspective. Yeah, and that's hard to come by. Nobody expected Abilene Christian to be at the top of that conference in, in Keith Patterson's first year. What he did there is incredible. The fact that they were hosting the game to determine the WAC title is just light years ahead of where anyone thought they would be at this time. But, you know, somebody mentioned on Twitter they were disappointed, and that's actually a good thing because there was a lot of disappointment on the ACU side from the fans and the players and everybody. And that disappointment tells me that that, that just shows me the level that Keith Patterson rose the expectations to with this team in year one, that trajectory going sky high really fast. If they can continue this because the passion is there. And being disappointed, not a bad thing. 
because that loss, uh, I know we talk about momentum from wins, which SFA needed heading into the offseason. The motivation from this loss could be what spurs ACU during the offseason as well. I think that could play a big role in it. And also, for those listening who weren't there, uh, yes, the shirt did come off of Colby Carthel again for a minute, but came back on, so we were all good. I I do love how that man celebrates. He will uh he has a good time and that can get lost some kinds times in college athletics because it gets so serious. Guys are getting fired, you know, your family's on the line, everybody's moving around. Like I understand that the stakes are so high. But at the end of the day, this is a sport, it's fun, it's college kids, right? And he seems to embrace those moments really well. And for SFA, it's not the season that they wanted. No. Right. Like this was a no. disappointing season in a lot of ways, but to end it with that win and to end it with the whack title, like I mentioned, the first the first conference championship since 2010, that can erase some of those bad vibes and make this offseason a tolerable one compared to had they lost this game, what the mood would have been like going into the offseason. He was not having fun the last few weeks. You could see it on his face in the press conferences. Uh, it was a struggle for Colby. It was a struggle for the team. And I stood back and, and just watched and, and took in their celebration because to see that team, they relieved a lot of stress in that celebration on the field. That's what you saw. Like it was noisy. It was loud. It was a stress relief. Like the smiles finally on these guys' faces. It, it was a scene that really does propel them into the off season that, that we did accomplish what we were supposed to do this year. At the end of the day, we won the whack. That was ultimately our goal to start this season. They're getting a ring. They could call themselves champions and that, that can really push this program forward heading into next year. Agree. Agree. And then like you mentioned for on the ACU side, getting a taste of those kind of games and being right there and seeing what it takes to win those games, seeing what it feels like to lose those games. Uh, those are moments that you look back on in a couple of years when ACU's won a conference title, when they're doing some big stuff and you can look, you can point to that game as the catalyst that began it. Most of these guys come back too. they yeah. have a very young roster really. So it, it, they have a lot of, a lot of years and, one thing I love about uh, Coach Patterson at ACU is he's just the same. He believes in routine. Humans are very big on, on and he he is huge on this. And because he he follows that, his team has taken that on, and they don't get too high and they don't get too low. This man is the same all the time, and that that is really not. So, it's a trait you don't get a lot, but it's very valuable to have as a head coach. Hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, let's preview uh, a couple of games coming up this weekend that are going to be fun uh, inside the state. We're going to start at the D three level. Mary Hard Baylor ten and one at Trinity eleven and zero on Saturday in San Antonio at noon. The crew beat down Huntington College fifty four to nothing in the first round. UMHB accounted for six hundred and fifty one yards of total offense in that game. Kyle King threw for 364 yards and four scores on only 18 completions. Like that is insane. It's absolutely insane stat line. Trinity scored 14 second half points to come back and beat Harden Simmons in round one, a 38 yard pass from Tucker Horn to Ryan Merrifield with 216 left in the game proved to be the game winner. 
Corey, this one feels like the battle in the state we've all been waiting for. It's a rematch of last year's game that Trinity was able to hang pretty good with the crew there and give them a real test on the crew's run to a D3 title. Do we see that again, or is this Mary Harden Baylor team finding a groove right now that's just on a different level than than Trinity and a lot of these other D3 teams? I sure hope that we get a classic. And also, I want to give a shout-out to Nicholas Jones on Twitter. Thank you for uh, reminding me to cancel some hotels and staying out of trouble <laughs> with the wife. So that that is huge. Uh, I will be in San Antonio Saturday, and I am looking very forward to this game. It is going to be a lot of fun. I I, I just think it's going to be a battle, kind of like what you saw with the Harden-Simmons-Trinity game. It was a defensive battle, especially in the first half. Trinity found some offense in the second half. That pass from Tucker Horn to Merrifield, that was just incredible. And then Harden-Simmons drove back down the field. They were at the nine-yard line with seconds left, and the last pass was intercepted. And one thing I would like to say about Trinity's defense on that last drive, they did a great job of coverage. They were dropping about seven, eight guys back there. You know, Galen Glenn had nobody to throw to. He had no one open on at the end of those, and that's that's ultimately what won the game was that defensive stand there at the end. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like one of these games where it gets – over 24, 25, 26 points, and Mary Harden's got the advantage. If this becomes a, a scoring game, the crew and Kyle King and that offense has the ability to put up points and, and keep up with Trinity. It does not feel like Trinity has the ability to keep up with Mary Harden. That defense is going to have to play lights out and keep this one close and just hope, similar to the Harden-Simmons game, they get the ball at the right time. You know, Tucker Horn leads a drive, and they can go steal one at home. And Trinity's had that magic at home yeah. this year by the way they they have done really well there is something been a little magical inside that stadium in san antonio at, at trinity so that is that's a great point i think trinity wants the over under set at 24 and it better it's it's better if it's 20 <laughs> for the tigers that, that's yeah. really it, it needs to be one of those like last year's was grinded out football games and then just whoever can make the play at the end that's going to be the winner. That's what Trinity, in a in a worse way, in a worse word to use, it muck it up. Yeah, you know, really just keep it a defensive battle. And and for the old school people that love defensive football and the back in my day people, it's going to be a, a joy to watch. The bad news for Trinity is the weather's going to get a little bit better. It's supposed to warm up this weekend, not be as wet. And and I think. Had this one be a 35 degrees outside and wet kind of game, I, I think that lends itself to Trinity a little bit. That that offense from Kyle King, I think, puts up some yards and puts up some points and outscores them. Who you got? Oh, my goodness. I I would have to lean Mary Harden-Baylor just because they've done it so yeah. many times. But it would not surprise me to see Trinity win this game. They're playing their best football at the end of the season. You know, all year long I talked about, ah, they're not quite where they were. Well, the last three weeks they have been. And so uh, I'm expecting a, a real battle. I think the experience of Mary Harden Baylor, they remember last year too. So I, I, you know, they'll be, they'll definitely be focused coming into this game. Uh, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun out there in San Antonio. Um, Bombay Bicycle Club. It's pretty near uh, Trinity and Incarnate Word campuses. If you need some food at some point after the game, get the chili there. It is excellent. It's near the zoo. It's a fun place for kids going. It's a it's a fun 
fun area to be. Shout out the city of San Antonio, by the way. Yes. UTSA is nine and two. Incarnate words, what, 11 and one or 10 and two, something like that as well. Trinity's <laughs> 11 and 0. Like they are the capital of college football in the state right now. UTSA is nine to two, and they're the worst program yeah. in San Antonio. <laughs> yeah, they're just gonna mess around and win Conference USA for the second year in a row, and they're the third, third most successful program in the city right now. Conference championship in that town this year. Yeah, all three teams will win a conference title. That's just incredible. Yeah. That we knew the talent base was there, and Jeff Trailer knew that too when he took over. And that's what Eric Morris said when he took over UIW. We're gonna get San Antonio kids. And G.J. Kinney is, of course, keeping that. that. That just shows how much talent there is right there. And it's it's the same with Lamar in a lot of ways. I, I've seen a lot of Lamar's fan base talking about how there's so much talent in that Beaumont region that just wasn't harvested onto that team. And so you want to keep your local guys there. And I think the teams in San Antonio have been doing a great job of that. And that has been a big difference maker. And I think that's also – one of the advantages UTRGV will have when they come in in 2026, there's so much, so much good football in the Valley, so much talent that's still untapped. I am super interested to see how the UTRGV addition impacts these teams, because when we talk about San Antonio or we talk about UTSA and Trinity and Incarnate Word, we tend to only focus on the San Antonio kids they're getting, but they also feast on South Texas. Like those programs become feeders into the Corpus Christi and the Rio Grande Valley and all those kids that made up, they get overlooked uh, most of the time, but they can get to those San Antonio schools. They get looked at, they get seen by those San Antonio schools. And uh, will RGV be able to kind of get into that footprint? Do we see some of the other teams kind of drop? Is it a, you know, like a sub-zero game or whatever? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Uh, and Another and- thing to watch for with UTRGV, is do the other teams in the FCS step up their money? They they came out and said they're putting a million and a half into a coaching staff. They're starting a, co- a head coaching search right now. Yeah, and a million and a half is a pretty good clump of money for an FCS coaching staff. It's higher than what SFA has right now. And I, you know, you you can either complain or do something about it. So either or you raise money. And uh, if you want to compete, you better start raising some of that money. Yeah. Yeah. I need to get down there uh, once the season ends um, to kind of do a, a, a big feature story on just their progress there. Cause from my, everything I've heard, and maybe you've heard this too, they want to get a head coach in there by the end of December. Uh, oh yeah. They're moving know. quick. So, you know, they want to, they want to get this figured out. They're following, you know, they've, they've talked a lot to UTSA about how they kind of went about starting that. And it'll be interesting, you know, when UTSA started a program, they went for a figurehead who already had kind of like a built-in reputation that maybe was on the end of their career rather than the young, hotshot, upstart guy that would only be there for three or four years, then probably leave. It'll be interesting to see what kind of strategy they use and who kind of becomes uh, the guy that emerges there. I'd imagine they find somebody with some roots in that part of the state uh, who, who understands, you know, what the culture is down there and what people want to know and want to see from a program like that. I want to clarify. I have zero. This is a complete guess. Throwing things against the wall right now. But uh, I would love to see Casey Keeler take over that UTRGV job and build that program from the start. I, I'm not sure that he's going to enjoy FBS. Uh, he He's really enjoyed the playoff feel of FCS. Uh, now, again, 
this is completely out of the blue, but that would be a name. You give him that opportunity, and that would be a very, very good hire. Uh, he may be in the running for the Texas State job, my guy. Yeah, he he yeah. may be he may be he may be there, and it, it will be interesting. That's a that's a podcast conversation for probably the off season. But uh, Keeler moving into FBS and kind of what that does, you know, what the benefits are, what the negatives are, uh, probably make for a pretty interesting topic. He'd probably come on and discuss it himself with how cool he is with, <laughs> with just talking about stuff. So. Uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting offseason with that. And anytime a new program comes up or another program moves up, there's just, you know, it kind of shuffles the whole water. So be interesting to see how that shakes out. I'm excited uh, for Rio Grande Valley to have a college football program of their own. I think that's going to be a really cool addition to the state's outlook and makeup and map of, of college football. It's a it's a region that's been underserved and it'll be cool for them to get that spotlight. And Shriner. Yeah. Not, not, I mean, I'm I'm excited about Shriner developing a D3 program. That's another area that that could use another good D3 college out there. So we good things are coming in the next three, four years here in the, in sub FBS. Yep. All right. And then our last game we're going to look at uh, for this coming up uh, week. I'm going to butcher this. I, I looked up how to pronounce this this school, but I'm going to mess it up. Bemidji, Bemidji right? Bemidji. Bemidji. I, I know Bemidji. it's a town in Minnesota, but I've never spent much time up there. So I, I, I'm not good with the pronunciations. As anybody who's listened to this podcast probably already knows by now. Angelo stayed 11 and 0 and received a much needed bye week in the first round of the division two championships. They beat Midwestern state 37 to 19. The last time out, the Rams haven't played in a one possession game since the overtime win over Colorado school of mines back on seven, September 10th. It was the only time the team has been within 10 points of Angelo state at the end of the game this year. Uh, Bemidji is kind of the same, right? They beat Winona state last week, 31 to seven. They're 10 and two on the year. Those two losses came in the first two weeks of the season. So they're on a 10 game uh, winning streak. And they also haven't been challenged. They, they haven't been in a one possession game since the loss on September 10th either. So kind of, how do you see this one playing out? You know, it's number four versus number two. It should be pretty even, but it feels like two teams, that haven't been in a lot of even contests this year, especially Angelo State. How do you think they'll react to being on the field with somebody who's pretty close to equal in terms of talent level? Uh, you know, I, I expect Angelo State to respond and play really well. And I think they received a gift last week during the bye week because, you know, there was some concern about focus and routine and getting out of that heading in with a bye week when you haven't had one. So you don't know how to deal with it during the season. But then the Lone Star Conference released their awards and the Offensive Player of the Year and the Defensive Player of the Year did not come from Angelo State. And I think that provided some motivation. Not a shot at the players who won, you know, and it's not a shot at the coaches. It really is a testament to how strong Angelo State is as a complete team. But that was... That was, and I put it out. I, I made sure to put it out, and and I some of the right people in Angelo State saw that. So if I can help them use some motivation to focus to make a run to McKinney, so I get to cover that title game. Look, I'm there. I'll do it all day long. It should be a really good game. I I, I think this is going to be. I mean, it's got to be the biggest test for Angelo State so far this year. We're going to learn a lot about them because it's Second hard sometimes. You think so? Uh, Colorado School of Mines is. It was a humongous test, and they learned a lot about that game. And that's – I don't think Bemidji State has played the strength of schedule that Angelo State has, 
and they definitely didn't play anyone of of the Colorado School of Mines uh, level. So I I think Angelo, I I think it should be a 10 to 14 point game. It won't be a blowout by any means, but it could definitely be 10 points. Yeah. You know, the Rams are rolling, man. That running game is really good. Defense is solid. So it's hard seeing them get getting beat right now at the D2 level. They're they're on a roll. So all right. Well, looking at the clock, that'll pretty much do it for us this week. I uh, appreciate you joining every single week, Corey. I mean, honestly, this isn't me just like pumping them up or anything like that. But if you're interested in this stuff, you need to be on TexasFootball.com because it is the place to go right now for sub FBS news. We have updates all over the place. Corey's been breaking news, been right on top of stuff. So uh, never a be- better time to be there. We appreciate everybody listening. And uh, Corey, be safe on that trip down to San Antonio. Thank you. You'll be safe this weekend. And hey, if you guys have any information, my DMs are always open. I- I'm always looking for anything you can find interesting or story angles. I'm yeah. all for that, too. It doesn't have to be scoops. I'm looking for great stories. I want to tell the great stories of these guys. Yes, sir. That's a that's a great journalism pitch right there at the end there. That I like that. I like that. DMs are always open. Every reporter should follow that uh, strategy. All right. For Corey Hogue, for Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, we will talk to you next week.